Our scripture reading this morning will be from John 10, verses 7 through 16. John 10, 7 through 16. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is in a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Please turn with me to Psalm 23. It's a much-loved psalm, and one that I think many of you could recite in some translation or another. I'd like to, uh, in a moment here, actually do that, uh, but you may need to read uh, here to be able to recite it. Uh, with us in ESV. The psalm opens up with, the Lord is my shepherd, and we have to ask, well now who's the speaker? If the Lord is my shepherd, then it must be a sheep speaking. The poet spends most of his time in the psalm talking about what the Lord is doing, what the shepherd does, but he makes three statements for himself. And these statements are I will or I shall statements. And as we recite this or read this together, I invite you to find those statements. What are the statements that the poet, or we might think the sheep, makes for himself? And I'd like you to, as we get to those I will or I shall statements, emphasize those, because those are what we're going to be particularly uh, looking at today. Let's read together Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, those statements are not difficult to find. Um, and I, I invite you to think, as we, as we look at this, how would your life possibly be different if you could say those three statements with absolute confidence. I shall not want. I will never lack anything that I need. 
I will fear no evil. There's nothing that can ultimately harm me. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No matter, no matter the troubles that I run into, no matter the lostness that I sometimes feel, I know that ultimately he will lead me safely home. That's going to be the, the three points that the sermon is, is organized around. And again, as we go, I invite you to think, how, how, what would happen in my life if I could say those three statements with absolute confidence? To understand what's happening in this psalm, we need to understand a bit of the conditions of shepherding in Palestine. Sheep in Palestine live in, in very different conditions from what they do in, in much of the Western world. One of my favorite memories from our time in Scotland a few years ago is walking in the highlands in, in northern Scotland, and there we saw these rolling, lush, green hillsides that were just populated with sheep, and I could still hear those bells and, and hear the, the, the faint bang of those sheep. Uh, and, and they're up to their knees in this lush, green pasture. Those sheep needed no shepherd. Uh, they had plenty of grazing, they had plenty of water, they had fences to keep them in and keep them safe. They could basically take care of themselves. But in ancient Palestine, even today, the conditions are very different and the landscape is very different. There in Palestine, the good land is used for crops and orchards. So the sheep had to forage in the badlands where they could easily get lost and they had to be led to where there was grass for grazing. So the shepherd would lead these sheep to the to rocky, barren hillsides where, where they would find here and there little sprouts of grass that they could nibble, and as they did that throughout the course of a day or of a morning, uh, they would find the nutrition that they needed. Here in the drought of summer, the shepherd had to find them a water supply, either from a well or by finding running water. <coughs> and the sheep had to be protected from attack by predators. So, and also when they went down then into the ravines in search of, of food and water, they needed help navigating these steep and, and rocky ledges. Thus, in Palestine, and, and the context of our poem here, the sheep are utterly dependent on the shepherd. Now, in Scotland, <coughs> as in the US, you would rarely see a farmer out with his sheep. They just don't need him that much. But in Palestine, flocks of sheep and goats always indicate the presence of a shepherd. Without the shepherd, the flock is helpless, wandering on lonely mountains uh, and in wild ravines and thickets vulnerable to robbers and wild beasts or perishing in the deserts for lack of water and pasturage. So we see if it, if it read, the Lord is my farmer, then we could see ourselves as being maybe semi-independent. But here it's, the Lord is my shepherd. And here in this psalm, we find out how utterly dependent we are on the shepherd for our daily existence. But with that, we are not just dependent and then left on our own. The shepherd is utterly dependable. And that's why the poet here can say, and we can say with him, I shall not want. That phrase, I shall not want, doesn't mean what we would tend to mean, make it mean in our modern English. 
It doesn't mean, uh, almost sadly, that I get everything I want. Actually, it's good that it doesn't mean that. Uh, rather, it means that I won't lack. I won't lack anything that I truly need. Now, we live in a time and a place where our, our needs have expanded to include having lots of stuff and doing lots of things and going lots of places. But the needs of a sheep are pretty basic. The same word of I shall not want is used in Deuteronomy 2.7 where God is talking to Israel in the wilderness. For the Lord your God knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Now, we've seen how the psalm starts. God is my shepherd and therefore I won't lack anything that I really need. So what does this actually look like for a sheep to not lack? Well, in verses two and three, we see here the gracious provision of the shepherd for his sheep. So look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, at first glance, this looks like they're feeding in lush green pastures, but actually, they're lying down. The sheep are resting. I think what's happening is that the psalm here at the beginning is actually starting in perhaps the middle of the day. Remember that the countryside is a set of dry, rolling, rocky hillsides but then at noontime, so the sheep would go early in the morning to, to find their, their grazing among these rocky hillsides, but then at noontime, they would come to a, a shady place for rest and water. He makes me lie down doesn't mean that the shepherd forces the sheep to lie down. You can't make sheep lie down. Sheep will only lie down when they've had plenty to eat and when their thirst is quenched and when they are not threatened by any wild animals. So we have the sheep, I think, possibly in a sort of oasis here, and they are resting. And I find it interesting that the first description of the sheep here in this psalm is that they are resting. It's rest and refreshment rather than laboring up and down the rocky hillsides, and I wonder why that is. But notice further how the shepherd provides. He leads the sheep beside still waters. Well, why do sheep need still waters? It's because they won't drink from turbulent waters. When the water is swift, the shepherd may, may dig out a, a little nook beside the stream, and then the sheep can drink from a quiet pool. But I think there's still more here. This word, he leads me, literally means he leads me to a place of, here it is again, rest or refreshment. And still waters literally means waters of rest. And so we have the Lord leads his sheep to a place of rest beside waters of rest. This is a gracious provision of our Lord. Day by day, the good shepherd cares about our rest and refreshment so that we may have strength for the journey. I think we do well to consider this. It's a struggle for me uh, to recognize that life is about more than productivity. In fact, nothing at all is said in this psalm about the sheep being efficient, about hustling to grow wool or hurrying to make milk or 
trotting off quickly to the butcher. The good shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures, and I think the good sheep actually does lie down in green pastures and is refreshed. But obviously the shepherd does more than just lead us to rest. We see in verse three then, God's strength and his faithfulness. He restores my soul, may mean reviving our our life in, in the sense of I was down, I was really down, but he picked me up. But I think the language also suggests retrieving a straying sheep. This is not just for unbelievers. Psalm 119 is that psalm that just praises God's word. So it's somebody who clearly believes deeply in God, loves his word. And at the very end of the psalm, after 175 verses of praising God's word, we have the very last word, the very last verse, Psalm 119, verse 176, saying this, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Matthew Henry comments, the best saints are sensible of their proneness to go astray like lost sheep. They miss their way and turn aside into bypaths. But when God shows them their error, gives them repentance and brings them back to their duty again, he restores the soul. And if he did not do so, they would wander endlessly and be undone. I think it's easy for us to underestimate how easily prone to straying we are and how dependent we are on the shepherds restoring us. I've read that that once a sheep knows that it's lost, it will try to hide under a rock or a bush and bleat pitifully there, uh, alerting all all predators within hearing that it's there. And the shepherd has to hurry and retrieve it before anything else does. And once he gets there and finds the sheep, the sheep may be so paralyzed with fear that it can't even walk anymore, and he has to pick it up and carry it back with him to the flock. A familiar hymn says it well, perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he found me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. The shepherd not only retrieves and and restores us, he leads us in right paths. For a sheep, this means that the shepherd knows where he's going. Some trails going down into these deep ravines, or or they're called wadis, some of those trails are dead end, and they're so narrow that there's no place for a sheep to turn around, and I don't know how good a sheep is at backing up. But a shepherd worth his salt will lead sheep in paths that bring the sheep directly to their destination without putting them into any unnecessary danger. So God gives us rest and refreshment. He retrieves us when we stray, and he leads us down right paths. All this is not difficult to see for sheep, but we are Americans. And compounding that, most of us are Mennonite Americans. It's hard for us, I think, to understand how utterly dependent we are on the shepherd. Let's remind ourselves that here in Psalm 23, he's showing us sheep precisely so that we can see ourselves in this. 
for what we are, utterly inadequate. Yet at the same time, we can be utterly confident because of God's gracious provision. The, the shepherd does not just turn us out into the wilderness to fend for ourselves as best we can. He's personally providing for us, walking with us day by day. I think this applies on both the physical and the spiritual levels. Jesus speaks of the physical in Matthew 6 when he says, don't be anxious about putting food on the table or getting clothes in your closet. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And he summarizes, therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow because tomorrow will have enough troubles of its own. It will be, sorry, tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Ray Vanderlaan quotes a rabbi. Worry is dealing with tomorrow's troubles on today's pasture. Now look again at verses two and three. Look at who is performing the actions here in verses two and three. Notice this, he makes, he leads, he restores, he leads. What I notice is overwhelmingly, God is the one who takes initiative in my life. But of course, that means I have to respond. Well, I think this applies on the spiritual level as well. Our works of righteousness follow the restoration of salvation. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And from Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Sorry. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Think of it this way. We do our good works for one of two reasons. Either because we're trying to earn our salvation or because we've already received it. If we're doing good works in any way to gain merit with God or to try to work our way back into his favor, then we have good reason to stand under a bush and bleat in terror. If we're doing what is right to gain merit with God, we will either have smug self-satisfaction if we think we've lived up to the standards, or if we think we haven't lived up to the standards, then we're going to fight insecurity and anxiety and self-hatred. But if we do our good works because we've already received salvation, we can work with utter confidence in God who is rich in mercy. My performance just matters a little less. We've looked now at God's gracious provision for us so that we can say, I shall not want Let's turn now and, and see how can we say, I shall fear no evil. Here in the psalm, the valley of the shadow of death literally is something like the valley of deep darkness. In search for food and water, the, the shepherd needs to take his sheep sometimes down into this dark uh, wadi 
through, through dangerous and rugged territory. It's a journey that's fraught with danger, not just to the sheep, but also to the shepherd himself, uh, who can, for instance, get caught in a flash flood and lose his life there or, or fall prey to robbers. Wadis can be deep and gloomy ravines, oppressive with heat and swathed in shadows. The deep descents and the danger of flash flood uh, is enough in itself for a sheep, but the wild beasts of prey also find their refuge in wadis. And it's down in this wadi that the sheep says, I will fear no evil. How can a sheep say that? You see, sheep have a special problem. They have no defenses. Cats have claws and teeth and speed. Dogs have teeth and can run. Horses can bite and kick and run fast. But sheep, have no claws, they can't really bite, they can't outrun any serious predator, they can butt other sheep, but that's not gonna help you a lot uh, when you're being attacked by a bear or wolf. The sheep's only security is the shepherd. But if the shepherd is a good shepherd and not just a hired hand, then the sheep are really secure. The rod here is probably a club or a cudgel, maybe two and a half feet long, and it's made of wood, and these were often embedded with heavy pieces of iron at the one end. It was the shepherd's primary weapon for defending his flock. This rod is probably what David used in defending his flock and what he refers to in the story that he tells Saul. I can just kind of imagine David sort of puffing out his chest a little bit as as he tells Saul the story that when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. The staff, on the other hand, was the shepherd's crook that we see so often in in the pictures. Uh, When a lamb tumbled into a crevice, the the shepherd could reach down with the crook and and gently uh, catch the lamb and pull it up out of the crevice into safety. So it's no wonder that the rod and the staff are a comfort to the sheep. How does this apply to us? I'd, I'd like to highlight one word here that I think is very, very important. It's the word through. Often when we're in a dark valley or in in depression or difficulty or discouragement, we fear that it's the end of the road. It feels like we're just permanently lodged here in this dark time. But we're not. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Shepherd is not a hired hand, and he doesn't flee when there's danger. He lays down his life for the sheep. By the grace of the good shepherd, he leads us through the dark valley, and he will lead us safely home, even at grave peril to himself. So we see that God abundantly provides for us so we can say, I shall not want. We see that God protects us so we say, I shall fear no evil. Thirdly then, we say, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Scholars disagree over what's happening here. Some insist that this is still the sheep talking and we're still within our sheep metaphor. Uh, Others say no, uh, this is actually a guest 
of a generous and a powerful host that's speaking here, and, and the metaphor has changed. Most uh, commentators think that we're actually changing metaphors now, and I, so I'm going to suggest that we may be speaking here in the last few verses in simple human terms. And if that's the case, then we have a strong but generous host who prepares this banquet table for his guest. Enemies had pursued the guest, but are now powerless to do any harm to him. And the host, in an act of courtesy and hospitality, anoints the head of his guest. Whether it's sheep or guest, I think the emphasis is still the same. That is that the threat of the valley has been transformed into triumph. God overwhelmingly provides for us not just food, not just protection from pursuing enemies, but this lavish treatment of anointing and, and overflowing goodness. And now we come to the high point of the psalm. We've wandered out into the rocky hillsides and we've been brought to an oasis of refreshment and rest and we've been led down into the dangerous wadis skillfully guided through that valley and we've feasted as a guest at his banqueting table. For me, that sounds good. I would have been content with that. But for the poet, led by the spirit, it's not enough. He presses further. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness is, is, is the broadest possible term for all that is desirable and beneficial to me. It comes to its fullness in God alone. Psalm 100, for the Lord is good. And then this call to us from Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But God's goodness isn't enough. There's his mercy, which is often translated steadfast love. It's a loyal love. It's a family love, a love that happens not from a distance, but in close relationship. But just the fact of God's goodness and his steadfast love still isn't enough. The word follow actually means to pursue. In the Old Testament, this word is frequently, not exclusively, but very, very frequently used of enemies pursuing enemies. I think it's just fascinating what's happened here in this psalm. We are safe from the pursuit of enemies, but we are not safe from the pursuit of God. God's overwhelming goodness and his steadfast loyal love are pursuing us just as hotly as the enemies were pursuing us. Why? Why would God pursue us? The pursuit of God's faithful steadfast love and the pursuit of his goodness can only end in one logical place. Himself. His pursuit has always been to redeem us and to bring us to himself. Witness this, uh, just a beautiful verse from Exodus 19, verse four. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. 
And then there's another verse that is a remarkable parallel to our last verse here in Psalm 23. This is from Exodus 15, 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed and you have guided them by your strength to your abode. See, the dominant players in your life are not your inadequacies, not your needs, not your enemies, not your troubles. The dominant players in your life are the goodness of God and his steadfast love. Remember who wrote this psalm? David had many troubles, many of which he brought on himself. There's the sordid affair that he had with Bathsheba and the accompanying murder. He had trouble with his, in his family. He had a rebellious son who staged a political rebellion. There was incest among his children. And yet, in the face of that, David sings, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our well-being doesn't depend first and foremost on our own efforts. Rather, as Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. How will God fix this? By telling us to get our act together? No. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sacrificial death of Christ is the ultimate display of his pursuing us and the ultimate assurance of our well-being. This psalm is a call to us to place our full confidence in our Lord, the good shepherd, the one who has laid down his life for the sheep. He's the shepherd who leads us to rest and refreshment. He's the shepherd who abundantly provides for us. We who are utterly helpless without him. He's the shepherd who safely leads us through the dark valley. He's the one who throws a lavish banquet for us. But let us not be content with mere provision, mere protection, mere lavish abundance. Let us not be content short of dwelling with God himself, the pursuing God, the good shepherd who brings us safely home to himself. May Psalm 27.4 be our prayer. I have asked one thing, one thing from the Lord. That is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. God bless you as you follow the leading of the Good Shepherd.